Hello, and welcome to another episode of Shot List, where we talk about how to make a life and a living behind the lens. I'm cinematographer Marshall Chupa, and today I'm speaking with producer and executive producer Jacob Crawford. In this episode, Jacob and I dive into his journey story and how buying his first drone and crashing it was a spark that led into the idea of a future career in the film industry, how we began to build meaningful relationships, and a three-step system you can use when approaching someone new you want to work with, how he views leadership and has been able to build a team of eight internal employees while working on 50 to 100 person set productions, and the importance of building systems and processes that ultimately free up more time for you to be creative and focus on the things you love. When it comes to how Jacob was able to get to where he is today, he shares a few really great stories I know you'll love and drop some really great wisdom for those who are just getting started or if you're a seasoned vet. I'm excited to bring this conversation to you. Let's dive in. Jacob, thanks so much for coming on the show today. I appreciate you being here. Yeah, no, thanks for having me, Marshall. It's, uh, it's always exciting getting to talk about what we do for a living and what we love to, to wake up for every morning. Yeah. And I think the last time we crossed paths, I was filming um, part of a spec in your studio in Port Moody. And we had uh, a hazer going heavily with some tube lights, you know, mimicking a fire scene. And we had a firefighter in there, you know, full gear uh, with an axe, like running through and uh, had a ton of fun in one of your studios there. How long have you had that space for? Yeah, no, that did, man, that seems like forever ago. <laughs> that was a lot of fun, though. Turned out really great. You guys did an awesome job with that. Oh, thanks. It's always cool to see how people come in and, and interpret the space and use the space and the way you guys were able to take advantage of kind of the restrictions of the space at that time, I think worked out great in, in that piece. We've had this space for, I guess it's coming up on three years now, which time flies. <laughs> it doesn't feel like that, but um, we've actually, we're, we're just about to expand. So our studio space that we have right now is about to be uh, doubled probably in the next week, which is awesome in the same building, but uh, we're taking the wall down and we've kind of got the, the space next door now. So yeah, we're excited to expand it and offer it to uh, the community here in Vancouver. Yeah. And as we get started here, I'd love to, I mean, everyone has such an individual journey story into this and I actually don't really know much about yours. I'd love to kind of hear the humble beginnings and where things began for you into this journey as I guess we just discussed prior to jumping on here, you know, becoming a producer to uh, a more or executive producer role. For sure. I mean, that I think that's what's unique about our career path is, you know, it's not the it doesn't always have the traditional route like a lot of other career paths where it's, you know, post-secondary, then you kind of work your way up in the ranks. And then next thing you know, you're in that that role that you were kind of dreaming of. I think with the film industry, there's a lot of different ways to go about it. And oftentimes they all lead to where most people want to go. For me, it kind of started with specialty camera work. I, I'd actually bought a drone in, I want to say, 2014. 2014, I think, and it was right at the beginning of uh, beginning of drone technology. Most people hadn't really heard about it, um, and I kind of bought it. It was an impulse buy. I saw a video on YouTube, and I was like, okay, that, <laughs> that thing looks way too cool. I need one of those. Probably wasn't the smartest purchase at the time. Yeah, I, I remember actually, you know, and I've said this, I think, before, but my dad gave me probably the best piece of advice right as I was about to buy the drone. He said, you know, find a way to make the drone pay for itself. Uh Yes. And that was something that in the time I completely disregarded. I was like, yeah, whatever, dad. Like, I just want the drone. But now looking back, it was probably one of the smartest pieces of advice that he had shared with me at, at that time. And I think 
stayed with me in my subconscious mind as, as we kind of built out the, the whole drone world. So I bought this drone, started filming for real estate uh, in and around where I grew up. At the time, no, no one had really seen that perspective, so it was very new. So I was getting a lot of traction working for kind of the luxury real estate world in Coquitlam and Port Moody, not really knowing what I was doing, didn't really have much camera background or camera knowledge, but was kind of just winging it and learning on the fly. But that's when I started to fall in love with what I was actually capturing. At the beginning, it was because I liked flying I like RC planes and drones. And so that was what made me get the drone in the first place. And then after I got it, I realized how much I loved what I was capturing. So then I started investigating into that more. I ended up working at Heli Video Pros, which is now Can Drone. And so they were one of the first drone companies in Vancouver. And they were doing all the big cine stuff. They were working with the Peacemakers because at the time Peacemakers didn't necessarily have a drone unit. So I got to work with them and, and learn an absolute ton from what they were doing and they were kind of the first in, in Vancouver that were really doing it. So very grateful for what I was able to learn there and then that kind of got me into the cine world. And so then I started working in the union as a drone pilot, which was incredible. The experience that you get from working on these large sets is really incredible. And I was, I acted like a sponge, like I was so fatuated by what was happening. Like that movie magic really just captivated me and I was so intrigued by the process of creating because we were just drones so it's like you know you go up and you get your establishers and then you guys are wrapped but I was always hanging around watching what you know the rest of the main unit was doing and, and was very fascinated by that so then that's what kind of led me into wanting to become more a part of the process and so from there I started doing some stuff in the music industry I got a bit of a break working with various music artists out of Vancouver where I was kind of just doing like documentary-ish work documenting their lives as a music artist. And then that kind of grew into working with some massive electronic artists, you know, over the last four or five years, kind of got to work with some some really talented uh, electronic music, pop music artists, which is really cool. Traveled all around the world with them, documenting uh, kind of their life behind the scenes, which I think also taught me how to run and gun, how to shoot, how to be mobile and efficient as working just as a solo person and then also having to like edit and all that sort of stuff. So I learned a lot just from that process. And then in parallel was doing the the drone work, which was on the big studio type shows where you have massive crews. And so I was kind of getting these two contrasting worlds, but all in the same vein. And I think that's what really inspired me to continue to push forward with with what I wanted to do and helped me understand where I wanted to go. And then that's when kind of the production company started to take form. We, we started doing some music videos and th those were great. Those were an opportunity for us to put a creative stamp on what we wanted to tell while also building up our infrastructure and, and working with started out as like a 10 person crew and then it grew to like a 30 person crew and then a 50 person crew and we we're kind of working our way up to what i'd seen on those studio shows where you have a, a massive team all collectively working together and that's kind of where we wanted to go and where i wanted to go yeah and then our team started to take form and bailey was kind of one of the first primary team members who came on board and really helped uh push the engine forward in the direction we wanted to go with his experience coming from various different backgrounds within the the bigger film industry so it really helped us navigate what do we want to be who we want to be morally as a production company and what we want to push for in the industry and then kind of ever since then we haven't looked back and it's been you know this is what we stand for as a production company this is what we're going to do and this is where we want to get to and then the team's just kind of built itself around that that's kind of the core 
Yeah, now now we're this young, hungry team uh, that is a production company out of Vancouver here and has had the ability to work across Canada, which is which is incredible. And we're very fortunate to have worked with some amazing crews and teams in Toronto and Montreal and in uh, in a lot of Vancouver. And so, yeah, we're excited to continue to push for production in Canada. Yeah, it's been really fun to watch you guys grow. Like you said, this young, hungry team over the last couple of years, that's what it kind of feels like. You guys have just been jumping onto so many cool things and, you know, you do a really great job of getting it out there and really breaking into the space in so many different genres and fields. I'd like to step a little bit back to the beginning of your story, because I think this is an interesting part for everyone, is what it's like to transition into doing this full time. And you said, okay, you bought the drone and you started filming some real estate. What were you, even to go further back, like what were you doing before that? How did you see that there was money in it or start to meet some people, like put some stuff up online and then, you know, real estate agents saw it. How did that, how did that process work in the very beginning? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think it's always daunting anytime you're trying to do something that doesn't necessarily have the comfort of an hourly job or um, a salary. And I was actually working at a golf course, uh, Western Plateau Golf and Country Club. And I had worked there since early high school. I'd worked there for about five years before I started to make the transition um, into doing it full time or, or pushing for the, the drone side full time. But I worked there year round, but it was a seasonal course. So I was fortunate enough to have had the ability to work there year round, but I wasn't making a ton of money. I was kind of just putting just enough aside and then I blew it all on the first drone. Um, <laughs> and then I, I really, I had this drone and I just started posting some photos online on like on social media and Instagram. And then that was like, people were like, whoa, I've never seen Bell Carroll from that perspective. And I was like, whoa, this is like, I'm getting some traction here with people kind of wowed by the imagery that you're able to capture with it. And at the time, the drones were, you know, you're flying an old GoPro. So the, the footage nowadays is incredible. But at the time, it was it, it was super cool to to the audience. And then that's when I had uh, one of my dad's friends was a real estate agent. And he reached out and he said, hey, can I pay you a couple hundred bucks to take some photos of this house? And at the time, I was like, couple hundred bucks to fly the drone are you kidding me that's incredible <laughs> right but it, it really took I would say about a year and a half to two years of working at the golf course and doing the drone work on the side and then not really knowing whether this could be viable as a career and where it would go and going back and forth and you know leaving the comfort of the golf course I remember actually when I did leave I think a lot of people at the golf course said this guy's leaving to go play with a toy, you know, like what? <laughs> right. But at the time, it just felt like it was the right thing to do. You were getting more traction and, and I loved flying the drone and, and going and showing people this new technology and the perspective and the reactions you would get were always so satisfying from people seeing that perspective. And that's what really motivated me to be like, wow, I think I can actually do this. I think that there is a market for this. And now fast forward, you know, six, seven years after the fact, and the drone industry is huge now. We we're kind of early on, we didn't necessarily stick with it. We we did drone work for a long period of time. We've kind of phased out of it now. But yeah, it was it was one of those things where it just kind of felt like, you know what, we're getting some traction here. Let's just try it. Let's just go for it. And at the time, I was young enough where I was still living at home, I think 20, 19, 20 years old, fortunate to have the great support of my, my parents. And yeah, it just felt like I didn't really have a, a lot to risk by doing it. You know, it was like I could go try this out for a year and if it works, great. And if it doesn't, well, I still have time left to go to school or find a new job. So yeah, it felt like that leap was was worth taking. 
then in the end, I, you know, I think it, it luckily it worked out. But one story I will I will share is there was a moment where I actually crashed the drone, and I thought it was done. Classic. Yeah. So I remember I was doing this video for a real estate agent that I was doing a lot of work for. I was doing weekly stuff for him, and he was an incredible guy uh, out of Surrey, and it just like I. With power lines and drones, they don't really work well together. And at the time, the drones would behave differently when you would fly underneath them. And so I was flying underneath these high voltage power lines. And the next thing, the drone is just flying as far away and as fast away from me as possible, <laughs> out of control. Oh, God. And then it ended up just tanking into a field. And I was like, okay. And I was terrified. I was like, what just happened? And of course, the client was there at the time. Oh, and man. I'm like, oh, my God. And he feels really bad. And I'm like, Luckily, you know, at the time, drones, people had no idea what the tech really was. So they were kind of like, oh, no, I'm sorry, what happened? And I was right. like, I swear it wasn't me. The thing just went crazy. Yeah, yeah. But I was terrified to the point where I was like, you know what, maybe this isn't for me. I just aren't, I'm not comfortable on this. And then he actually came to me the next week and said, hey, I feel so bad about your drone. I bought you this new drone. And at the time, it was the DJI Phantom 3 Silver, I think. It was like the first time DJI had their own camera system built in to the drone. And I was like, what? Like, you don't have to do that. And he's like, I tell you what, just do a couple houses for free for me and kind of work off the drone. And I was like, wow, like that. It was so generous of him because it really actually gave me that second chance because I don't think I would have bought another one. Interesting. Yeah. And so he bought that for me. And I remember the first time flying that new one, I was, my fingers were shaking and I actually clipped a tree branch <laughs> and my dad was there with me as like oh, my, man. as my spotter. And I clipped a tree branch, but the drone stayed up in the air. But I remember I took my hands off the sticks and I said, okay, I need to calm down because if I actually want to do this, I'm going to have to seriously figure this out. Um, because if I crash another one, it's done. And so thankfully it didn't fall out of the sky there. And yeah, then things kind of kept going after that but that was a, a really neat break that and then I think that just touches on client relations you know having that relationship with with whoever you're working with it was very generous of him but I think it was also because we had such a great dynamic between us and we were really helping each other out and yeah so I think that that plays in other aspects other than just the drone world yeah 100 percent. that's super cool that you know generosity and again adding value in each other's lives is so important and it's really cool to hear that story because it's almost like you know fate came back and said no you're gonna do this it doesn't matter if you just got a little scared off here we're coming back for you so that's that's a pretty cool little story thanks for sharing that and you know as things evolved so you jumped into the drone teching side of things with the, or that, that shopper what was the next step there yeah, the, the next step, like I was still gaining my confidence on the drone, um, but was nowhere near the confidence level that you see the pros at in the industry. But I always wanted to get there. And actually, where I bought my first drone was from Heli Video Pros, which was in Burnaby. And now they've rebranded as CanDrone. And Justin, the owner, I came in there asking for some help with my drone, and he offered me a job to work just as kind of like a store clerk, uh, helping out with the sales side in there, as well as going to work towards being a ground supervisor, ground tech on their cine shoots, which is exactly where I wanted to be. I wanted to be on the, the cine side. And so I eventually got my shot uh, working as like a ground tech. So I was basically hauling batteries, making sure everything was charged up, which was a complete foreign world. I was used to working with DJI drones where everything was very consumer friendly. And then I was going to the world of custom builds and big LiPo batteries that you know, have to be balanced very specifically. And 
all this stuff. So I learned a ton in the process with them. And also, you know, it, it significantly improved my confidence at flying the drone. You know, Tyler McDougal was the main pilot there and him and I became to become uh, really close friends. And he really like helped me gain the confidence when flying on my own. And then eventually I started to do some of the Cine stuff there. But then I was doing tech stuff and then I was doing some of the smaller flying and then eventually started doing their heavy lift stuff later on. Right. Very cool. Bit of a natural progression there. So when you're doing the heavy lift stuff, all of a sudden you're on commercials and features or how did that transition? Like when do you, when are you allowed permission to start, you know, flying on something like that? Yeah, no, for sure. So first you have to get into the union. Um, so you have to have people vouch for you to, cause it's a 669 position. So I'd been permitted into the union as like a ground supervisor and then that graduated into a pilot. And then we were actually doing a bunch of work on X-Files. So there was a scene in, I think the last season of X-Files where we had multiple drones flying. And it was like, that was like the first time that I flew a drone on a set that big with like Jillian Anderson and David Duchovny right, right there beside us, which was really cool. And I remember very nerve wracking, but we were doing like synchronized flying. We had, I think, three, three Inspire 2s in the air flying together. And then we had an Alta that was actually recording the three drones flying, chasing after uh, the talent. So it was a, as though talented oh, wow. or it was as though tech had gone wrong and gone oh, rogue. Yeah. And so the drones were kind of chasing after the talent in the scene. And that was my first time uh, flying on, on a big scale set. And then from there, it was like, OK, everything went well. And you keep working up, but uh, we were mainly in television. Uh, we did a lot of series. We did like Man in the High Castle, X Files. We did a bunch of the like CW stuff, the 100 and things like that. Uh, so it was great because you're you know you're working at one of the higher levels in the industry, and you're able to learn so much as well as be trusted because people respected the position you were in. Um, so you're able to gain some confidence in that sense too. Yeah, and then you said you had a little bit of a a time in the music career or to pushing into the music side of things being kind of a one-man band like how did how the heck did that come about yeah no it's it's kind of a funny parallel because the drone side was a completely other world but i with the drone side that that's what got me into cameras that's what got me into the overall uh, cinematography behind what you're shooting and then uh i loved that portion of it and bought or actually i didn't buy but i was telling people I owned an A7S Mark II because it was the best low light camera at the time. And I wanted to shoot like, I always liked going to music concerts, but I didn't love paying to go to music concerts. And I was like, oh, it's yeah. so cool to like actually just go and film these music concerts. And so then I just started telling people, hey, I like film music concerts. I hadn't filmed a single music concert before. <laughs> Fake it till you make it. Yeah, just telling all these like local artists that were playing at like some of your nightclubs and whatnot that, hey, I could film you. Um, trust me, <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, didn't didn't even own a camera. That's hilarious. But uh, I had a I had a friend who owned an A7S Mark II, and I remember I got a shot filming this just this local DJ at a local nightclub in Vancouver, and he's like, "Yeah, come on out." And I was like, "Oh, okay, this is happening." <laughs> so now I need a camera. So then I asked my buddy who had the A7S II. I said, "Hey, I need to rent your camera. Can can I pay you a few hundred bucks to to rent the camera?" And he's like, "Oh, I just take it." And I was like, okay, what do I do with it? Like, I've never used this thing before. And he's like, well, here, shoot at this ISO, shoot at this f-stop, and don't change anything. He's like, just point and shoot it the whole time. And so I did that. And then uh, the client liked it. So it worked out. And then that I did that a few more times where I was just kind of faking it until 
until I had the opportunity to buy my own camera. And then that's when I really started to focus on it. And then, it, yeah, it just kind of kept moving up the, the ranks and in the music scene. Um, and the next thing you know, I was touring through the U.S. with an artist. And that opened a lot of doors into working with bigger artists. So That's a good story for those who I think this is a very big assumption when you're getting started out. You just need to own all this camera gear before you can actually do anything. I mean... The fact that you were selling yourself as a, you know, a music filmmaker without even a camera in hand, like that's a testament to how much gear you don't need in the beginning. Um, you were just had the, the hustle, the drive and the creativity to come up with selling people on the idea that you could do it. And you just you know, threw yourself into the, the ring of fire and did it. So I think that's an awesome little story for those getting started. Well, and I think that that is the end of the day. And I, I've kind of talked about this before just with friends, but if you truly believe you want to do something, you have to honestly believe that you are that. That was what kind of just forces you to start practicing the way that that person would. So I wanted to be this videographer in the music scene. So I just started telling people that's what I was. And then when I was at home, all I watched was the videographers who are making music stuff. And you just kind of slowly become what you want to do, even without having to spend a dollar on on equipment. And I think that that's what to anyone who's like wanting to get into any aspect of it. It's like start believing that you are that role because you'll you'll kind of uh, manifest it in, in a way. And I know that sounds kind of cliche or but, I, you know, I honestly think it, it works. It's worked multiple times for us. So, yeah, I love that. It speaks so true to how kind of life unfolds when you put the energy in the right places. And I think it's a big part in the beginning, at least it was for me is um yeah just allocating the energy i was always going 50 50 between you know finding a way to make money you know going up north running chainsaw is how i managed to try to kick things off and it wasn't until i did the full commit and and just said like hey this is the one thing i'm going to do and i'm i'm going to be that's what i'm going to say i am that's what i'm going to talk about and that's all i'm doing that it finally started kind of kick in and uh, the energy starting in the right places the connections started to happen and you know off it went so it's kind of cool to hear you had a similar feeling, at least when, when you're transitioning. Exactly. And I think that that is how ultimately people need to be focused mindset wise when you are coming into an industry that can feel so daunting or have such a like high cost of entry that some people use as kind of their barrier. But it's, you know, at the end of the day, you can make anything look great now, even just with an iPhone. It's just believing that where you want to go and who you want to be, if you believe you're going to get there you're going to get there. You're just going to start networking with the right people. You're just going to start putting yourself in the right place to become uh, what you want to do. So where did Crawford Filmworks come about in that? So you're kind of coming out of the, the music side of things. Like why, why did you start building that out versus just staying solo? I'd always wanted to kind of get into the bigger realm of, of production, but I was doing the music side, like the solo work by myself. And I loved that and I was building some great connections and I wanted to get more into like the music video production where you're working with a team. So I kind of wanted to leverage the connections I had to the music industry to then be able to bid on uh, music director projects or music videos where I could be the production company or the director. So that's kind of what started the, the production company or allowed us to, to kind of get our foot in the door scaling the production side. And so then, yeah, we started with those connections. We were able to get some decent music videos that had enough budget that you could pay a team to come out. And then that's what started to build up the the whole production company side. And then at the time when, when it was named, you know, I was just working as a sole proprietorship as myself and I just used Crawford and then Filmworks. And next thing you know, things ramped up very quickly and, 
you're like, okay, I guess this is kind of moving now. And the ball kept rolling and then it moved into just bigger production stuff. But again, it was one of those scenarios where I knew I wanted to get into that side. And so I just then started hitting up all my music clients that I was doing solo work for and being like, hey, I can do music videos. We've got a production team that can handle this. At the time, we didn't have a production team that can handle it. But I was like, hey, we can because I, I know enough people in Vancouver that we can find people if I can get the job. So then I just started going around and, and marketing us as, as that or marketing myself as, as that to those clients. Again, you're coming back to the like believing in yourself and uh, knowing where you want to go and just make it happen. I love that that theme. That's such an important one. I think as a freelancer and as an entrepreneur and, you know, just going on as a creative, really, I love the the belief you have in yourself. And I'm curious, how did you start building a team with Crawford Filmworks? Like, I mean, like you said, you just you knew enough people, but I know you have some in-house people now and you, I'm sure you team up with many more. How did you begin to find and build a good team around you? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think anytime you you start growing as a company, oftentimes I think the challenging part or one of the most challenging parts is going from one to two. And so when I say going from one to two, I mean, you did everything yourself. You did the accounting yourself. You did the marketing yourself. You did the editing. You did the shooting. Like you do everything yourself. And the biggest step, I think, as you grow a company is making that transition from one to two. So now putting some of that workload on someone else and trusting them. And oftentimes I think that could, that's very hard and daunting for people that like to be in control. But uh, it's important that you find the right people. And at the time, we were just doing subcontractor work. So like Bailey was working on all our projects, but we were just kind of paying him as a subcontractor. So we were kind of testing the waters with who felt like the right fit. I mean, who are we working with repeatedly over and over again? And are they someone that should be a part of like the whole internal team. But the problem is, is as soon as you add like add someone as an internal employee, costs skyrocket. So uh, you kind of have to be careful on when you take that jump. But um, it got to a certain point that, you know, it felt right, you know, adding people to the team. And then actually our first employee or the first employee at Crawford, aside from myself, was Oswaldo, who's our now our post supervisor, because we needed an editor for like an ongoing project we got. And then Oswaldo actually forced my hand because I wanted to just subcontract him. <laughs> but he's, <laughs> he's actually up here on a work permit because he's from Mexico and he has to be employed. And so it was something that was hes like I hesitated. I was like, oh, man, but like as soon as you employ someone like now you you're a huge resource for that person and you can't just go away like they're now relying on you to have the work to pay them and then there's also a lot of government contractual work that's involved and it's very scary as an employer or as a business owner of going like oh now I'm like fully responsible for this person and there's a lot of paperwork involved and I remember just being terrified because I didn't think we were ready at that point but I was like Oswaldo is such talent and an incredibly hard worker that I was like, I would hate to miss this opportunity to work with someone like him. And so I chatted with Bailey back and forth. And Bailey actually wasn't even an employee at the time, but we were kind of working together almost like as partners. But we just knew like, hey, we're not at the point where it makes sense to just have a ton of employees because the overhead cost is huge. So we we're doing a lot of subcontractor kind of agreements between each other. But yeah, then we made the decision like, you know what, let's onboard Os Oswaldo. Yeah, and then it just kind of goes from there. You you add one, and then 
that's kind of the first hard step um, is taking that risk and adding uh, adding that first. And then luckily things kept growing for us. And now we're at an in-house team of eight. So that handles kind of all the internal accounting and production work at, at Crawford. And then obviously when we have a, a project that comes through, we're onboarding and hiring various crew members within that. But uh, the internal team that's kind of every day is Crawford is eight people. Yeah, and it's interesting to hear, and shout out to Bailey Wood, uh, an incredible producer I had the opportunity to work with on uh, one or two projects. Just incredible humans, so detail-oriented, so over-the-top, on top of it. I, I've never met someone like that. And so I think it looks like you guys have really had a good relationship, friendship, and business career together the last little while. I'm curious to hear how that came about and, and how you grew the business together and how that formed. Yeah, no, Bailey's an incredible, incredible person and just understands the film industry better than I would say 95% of the people at the top uh, understand the film industry. But I think that that's why we complement each other really well. And I think that anytime you're growing a business, you can't, you have to look for people that can complement areas that maybe you're not as versed in. And so that was the the film side of it. You know, I had sort of the the more business mindset, just, you know, my dad's been always in business and he's really helped me with the business understanding and all that kind of back end work, as well as I had a lot of client relations. And then Bailey was working in, in the union and he was day calling and he kind of worked every single position in the film industry from art, PA, dolly grip second AC, director's assistant, producer's assistant, he did it all. And I think that that's incredibly valuable to now his ability to produce because he speaks the lingo with every department. And so we had these complementary assets that one another brought to the table. So I think that that's why it really started to work early on. And then now it's just continued to to build over the last, you know, three years now together. We've been able to complement each other in, in ways that I think have allowed us to elevate the the production company. But we actually we met on a MOW project in Victoria, I believe. And uh, this is this is kind of funny. This is kind of a bit of a, a dig towards the MOW land, but we had been brought out to do drone and they told us that we were gonna be wrapped before the last ferry home. So they were hiring us as like locals essentially because they didn't want to put us up. So I was like, cool, as long as you like pay the expenses to get us over there and our rates, then you don't have to pay for us to stay overnight. But we have to be wrapped by this time to get back to the ferry. And uh, sure enough, we weren't wrapped until about 12.30 a.m., missed the ferry. And then the production wasn't going to pay for a hotel for us. And so I was like battling them being like, what do you mean? Like you guys are supposed to wrap us at like 6 p.m., 7 p.m. And here we are wrapped at midnight and you're not going to get us a hotel room. And so anyways, long story short, Bailey was like, oh, guys, like I got a hotel room. Like come crash with come crash with me. And so we went back to his place and he had like uh, two bed or like two queen beds in, in, in the room or whatever. And then so John and I, who is my colleague doing drone stuff, we ended up crashing with Bailey and we just kind of hit it off that night and he was telling us how he wants to get more into the production side and I was explaining to him how we were kind of phasing out of the drone side and getting more into the production world and it just seemed like a natural fit and then we started doing a few different projects together and we were like, hey, this is really working. We're, we're supporting each other in, in great ways and yeah, then it's just kind of continued on and now he's you know our head of production as well as a, our development, one of our development executives in curating kind of the, the content that we're, we're finding here in Canada. What a serendipitous way to meet 
it was probably meant to be that you missed that ferry uh, <laughs> and had to spend a, a night in the hotel room. I love how life does things like that. Sometimes it's just you, you don't know why, but it does. And then your whole career now changed because you missed the ferry. And it's funny you say that because I've actually never even thought of it like that. But now that you just said that, I'm like, wow, Marshall, you are 100% right. Like, had we actually made the ferry, probably would have never connected or at least not at that moment in time. And who knows when we would have reconnected and if anything would have happened from that point. But uh, yeah, now, now that you say that, I'm looking at that scenario being like, wow, things do happen for a reason. Pivotal moment right there. Yeah. And I'm curious, how do you begin to build relationships, let's say, you know, it's you and Bailey now, you're working for some high profile clients in, in the movie industry and all that kind of stuff. Like, I'm curious to, you know, you said you had established relationships and all that kind of stuff. Like if you strip it down to the core, how for someone getting started, do you begin to build relationships? Because I think that's a really uh, daunting thing in the beginning when you're just getting started. Yeah, I think that the relationship building aspect of the business or just business in general is probably the most important. You have to have the chops, you have to have the ability to to pull off what you're selling for the most part, at least some people manage to do it without even having that. But for the most part, you need to have a good understanding of what you're selling, what you're doing. But then you have to be relatable and you have to be able to connect with people. And I would say that 99% of the clients we've worked with weren't a client overnight. They were someone who we had been introduced to, connected with. We kind of hit it off on a personal level. We built this relationship and then earned their trust. And then that's when they, you know, gave us a project. And I think that that is something that oftentimes a lot of people overlook or just think, oh, I'm just going to go in and pitch this and then they're going to pick us or Whatnot. And I think that works in, in different areas and can be uh, a viable option. But I think that you're going to, if you play the long game, you're going to have longer lasting relationships. And I think that, you know, for example, there was a music artist who I was a huge fan of his music. Uh, his name is Elenium, is his stage name. I was a massive fan, loved his music, always wanted to work for him. And I think it was four years of mending and building that relationship before I ever got a chance to work for him. Uh, You know, I remember getting the text being like, hey, we want to bring you out to his show in Las Vegas. Are you down? And I remember being like, oh, my gosh, absolutely. (laughs) Are you kidding me? But it was, you know, it was years of just becoming friends and, and being relatable. And I think that that's the biggest aspect to any relationship is you just have to get along first and foremost because people want to work with the people they like uh, that they like talking to and they like hanging out with yeah that's something that speaks to i mean it's in the beginning i don't uh, something maybe i didn't understand as well but and it's not something you necessarily want to hear but the long game (laughs) if you think about any relationship outside of career whatever you know if you don't date you can't just marry the person you have to date them you know if you put it in that subcontext and you know building relationship in any scenario friendship habit whatever it be takes time to get to know each other, build trust, all that sort of stuff. And I think once you you applied to this industry, it's the same thing. And it sounds like that's kind of how it's gone for you as well. Absolutely. And I think that there's this, Bailey's kind of pointed out, but we we call this three-step method to any connection. And so usually there's the, the first step, which is the introduction. So that's, you know, you either shake hands or you approach them at some point, you say, hi, hello. And this is like, if you're trying to get connected with someone, you know, maybe you've started them on your map being like, hey, this is who I want to really work with or get connected to. So one, you have to find a way to get the intro. 
you get the intro, and then the next time is they need to see something that you've done organically. And so that means that you've maybe met them, and then a few months later they stumble across a, a friend of theirs who then reshares something that you've done, and then they go, oh, I think I've, you know, I met that person not too long ago. And then I think the, the third step that really validates the connection is someone they trust needs to vouch for you or needs to mention you. And we've seen that in multiple cases with relationships that we've built is it's, we've, you know, met them and then six months later, they stumble across something we've done. And then it's, you know, a couple months later and they're talking to a friend of theirs and then somehow we come up in conversation. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, this person's validated that we connected with eight months ago, a year ago or whatnot. Maybe we should reach out again or, or, or get connected again. And so we've seen to, or we've found that that's kind of been the process with a lot of relationships. But first and foremost, you just have to be likable and you just have to get along with people. And I think that that is such a huge part of any aspect of business is, is being able to just enjoy working with someone and connecting with someone and, and being relatable and, and all that really leads to a long lasting relationship that eventually works works out to be you know a working relationship or even just a you know a mentorship you know not every person you're going to work with on a client to you know service provider basis but uh, at some point I'm sure that will happen but you know it's build that relationship first yeah 100 percent. that's really cool you broke it down you and Bailey just the one two three thing because that's you know it's really hard to grab onto stuff on what it actually is like to build relationship and breaking it down simply like that is really an easy way to, yeah, just keep in the back of your mind, especially when, you know, it just, and just time at the end of the day, it's patience. I think that's something I didn't have in the beginning (laughs) was just, you know, you're starting out, you want it just to happen, man, like, come on. But realistically it does take that, you know, the one to two years of, again, building trust and having that repeatable, getting their content in front of them and then having someone vouch for you. Like, yeah, it just makes so much sense. Yeah, well, and I think patience is key because, you know, I think that a lot of times people forget to put themselves in their shoes. If you were on the other line, would you trust you right away? Like, would you just, you know, hop into bed with someone that, you know, you you haven't even really built any sort of connection with? So that's what I always tell people. And and I've noticed it myself, too, is it's like someone maybe will reach out to us and be like, hey, I want to connect. I want to, you know, work with you guys. And at first you're more like hesitant. And you're like, okay, like maybe, and then you do a bit of research and you're like, oh, so-and-so, you know, is close with this person. And then maybe you reach out to them and they go, oh yeah, that guy's like a stand-up dude. You you should totally connect. And then the the connection happens. So I think that that's so important is being patient and, and thinking about it from their perspective and knowing that, you know, everyone is connected with a lot of people, but regardless who you're looking to connect with, they're, they're only like one or two steps away. That's just crazy in this world is with social media now, everyone is so reachable. So don't be scared to reach out, but just understand that the connection and the relationship will take a bit of time to, to mend and form. But uh, what's, what's really great with this day and age is that everyone is reachable and everyone is within arm's length, no matter who they are. Um, and I think that that's oftentimes what a lot of people forget too, is they put these people on pedestals or, or maybe they're trying to get through to a development exec to try and get their show made. And it's like, We'll just strip it down, do some research, and I'm sure there's some sort of connection through the grapevine that you can get to that person through the social channels we have and the outlets we have, and then just know that it's going to take time to form. But uh, I don't know, that's kind of how we've found found things go for us. Yeah, it's such a good perspective to just look at it from 
how do you experience onboarding people, building relationship? Like someone DMs you, you, know, you it's going to take time to to even you know check out who they are, blah blah blah, you know. And then yeah, the, the trust really comes from a a referral at the end of the day. I think that's that's key. So once you've landed, let's just say uh, you've done the three step process, they've got comfortable, they've seen your work, someone's referred you. How do you begin to help? Let's say they bring a project, a client brings a project to your table. What is your creative process when it comes to bringing an idea to life for them? It depends. It really, you know, we, we've kind of done a variety of work in the sense of, you know, it's not typically like, oh, that we pitch a creative or anything like that. It's, you know, they come in different ways. For example, actually, it's funny you mentioned about the DM thing, you know, just looping back there is, is actually one of our biggest clients came from a DM that we got on Instagram that we didn't even reply to right away because we thought it was fake. <laughs> right. And so this was exactly that kind of method that I was talking about is, you know, this now Bryce, uh, who works full time at our office um, at the time had reached out to myself on Instagram and I hadn't connected with him. I had no idea really who he was and was kind of like he, he reached out saying he had this big studio project. And I'm like, yeah, OK, whatever. I remember reading it to Bailey being like, hey, so and so's got this Apple TV project. And we're like, no chance. Are you kidding me? There's no way. <laughs> and we didn't even reply at first. <laughs> and it kind of took us, uh, it took us a little bit to then like think about it and talk about it. And we were like, wait a second, but like, nah, let's entertain it. So then we replied and sure enough, it panned out to be now one of the biggest clients uh, that we've worked with ongoing all because of that DM. And now Bryce is a full-time employee with us. So he was someone who I think wanted to connect with us or wanted to have an opportunity to collaborate, which was really cool. And the fact that he had this opportunity and brought it to us was another great way for him to be like, hey, I want to get connected with these guys. So how can how can I do that? Well, why don't I bring some value to the table? And then I think that like expedited, but he's an awesome dude. And we're so grateful for what he's done for us ever since he's been here. But that was kind of a way that that happened. But uh, circling back to your question about you know, how does it kind of work once you've made those three step connections and then someone does reach out with a project? Um, it really varies. You know, sometimes like we, a friend of mine just reached out, asked us to put in a, a creative bid for a project. And so I actually, I put in a treatment myself, reached out to another director, put in a treatment, and then now we'll wait to see if it goes with us. But, you know, hopefully that relationship that we had built will give us a bit of an edge on maybe some of the other people that are putting in bids into the project other times that it you haven't even they've just come to you with a project and been like hey can you do this can your team handle this and we're like oh yeah this is totally within our vein or you know we had someone come to us with a feature we haven't done a feature yet but that's where we want to go and we're like oh yeah we can totally do that <laughs> yeah. not fully knowing what that's going to entail but having a good grasp of what we think we're in for but i think that that's also something that you have to be ready to do is better yourself and take risks because you have to start somewhere and so it's like at some point we're going to have to take that first risk. And if someone comes to us with the project that we think would work great for that, then you just have to go for it. But yeah, it's oftentimes feeling out what they bring. We've had relationships that have been built where they bring us a project that maybe just isn't aligned with what we're doing. And then you just say, hey, you know, that's not exactly within our wheelhouse or not particularly what we do. But uh, let me refer you over to someone who who could handle it to keep that relationship. You want to always satisfy them, but you also don't want to bite off more than you can chew or put yourself into a spot that can jeopardize the relationship. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And when it comes to working with a team, obviously, 
bigger projects are landing on your plate these days. I'm curious to speak to a little bit of the leadership role, you know, taking on, you're taking on the executive producer role, that kind of thing. How do you, you lead a team? Leadership is, is something that I think is, it's hard. It's hard to put a finger on like what is leadership or, or what is good leadership because there's some incredible leaders out there and it's hard to know exactly what it is that makes them an incredible leader, but you just follow. There's a way that they can just navigate a team or navigate people through a scenario uh, in a positive way that, that allows the people following to really buy in. And I think that something that you know we've been able to do and, and personally been able to do at our team is is lead with positivity and know that we're gonna figure this out regardless of where we are knowledge wise we have the dedication work ethic to figure it out and know that we're going to make some hiccups along the way or people are going to make mistakes but how do we learn from every mistake or every element that we get into and being okay with that. I think that often leaders are can sometimes be a bit more like dictatorship in a sense where it's like, no, this is what you have to do. You have to do this exactly. But I think, you know, from our standpoint, being a younger team, the way I like to go about it is like, look, we're all here working just as hard towards the same goal. No one is better than anyone else. We're all equal. We're all treating each other equally. Even though some people have different backgrounds, different knowledge, we all bring something new to the table. So treating everyone equally and making sure every voice is heard, I think is really important. And then at the end of the day, you know, you're going to have to make some tough decisions as a leader to make sure that this the ship keeps moving in the right direction. But I think also a lot of us that are younger and, and are in more of a leadership role at a production company or entrepreneurship or whatever, you have to be okay with not knowing the exact roadmap. I think that that's a lot of pressure that leaders will put on themselves is trying to think that they have it all figured out. But at the end of the day, we don't have it all figured out. And we're simply just trying to navigate it the best we can and being okay with that and then ex and voicing that to your team and being like, hey, we're, we're doing this, but we're in uncharted territory here. So let's work together with everything that we have to keep the ship moving in the right direction. Yeah, and I think just being real with, with everyone that you're around, being honest, being open, is respected in, in leaders. I know people that I look up to that are that are fantastic leaders. They're very open, they're honest, they're clear, but they're stern and they know where they want to go. And that's why people follow. So I think just building that atmosphere is very important. Yeah, you spoke to a lot of really good points there. And as I grow myself in my career path, it is something inevitable I've learned is just leadership and understanding that you can't do it all yourself. And if you can't do it all yourself, how can you build the right people around you? And uh, I think it's something we even spoke to earlier is, is, you know, finding the opposites or you rather said compliments, but I, you know, yin and yang, you know, Bailey is fills the gap for you and he, you know, you fill the gap for Bailey, but then tip finding those team players and finding a way to collaborate where everyone is just, you know, respected and is excited and, yeah, I think you, it's something you really spoke to well there and uh, something I'm learning more as I go along this journey myself. So, um, yeah, really, it's really cool to to watch what you've built over the last little while, Crawford Filmworks. And now that you have a internal team of eight and, you know, crewing up big crews, it obviously speaks to your leadership role. So congrats on doing that and being able to uh, do it successfully. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. I think we're, we're not there yet. We're moving in the right direction, but I, I, I don't think we've done anything anything yet, but uh, 
you know, I think it's exciting because we have a team that has all bought in and all knows where we're going and where we want to go. And I think that there's no doubt because I think doubt can be toxic in, in any team, uh, whether it's just a crew that you're hiring for one project or an internal team that's working year round. You know, you have to mitigate the doubt and know that it's going to be challenging. We're in an industry that's run by massive conglomerates. So anytime you're competing with people that have more money than you, more people than you, it can be extremely daunting. But knowing that the passion and the determination and drive within the core group won't waver, I think allows you to do a lot of powerful things. And I think that's what's exciting. And we're at a time where there's a lot of change happening in the industry. And I think that that can be daunting for a lot of people. You know, the film industry is in one of the darkest points it's been in, in years. But I think that that's going to allow for some innovation and transformation and give opportunity to kind of this new age. So yeah, it's exciting. And, you know, I love seeing what Vancouver's done in the last little bit, you know, aside from just us, there's so many incredible teams, companies in Vancouver that I think are really pushing. And uh, yeah, it's exciting to see. And, and, you know, we're excited to continue to collaborate with everyone within this city to try and put a stamp, uh, stamp on this industry. But uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun so far. Yeah, and when it comes to running a business, inevitably, like putting the right systems and processes in place are important, something that I've really been diving into lately myself. I'm curious, what are some of the things that would stand out for you that once you built them or built those process systems really helped create flow and ease in the business? Yeah, systems are something that I think uh, the big industry or the big companies have really flushed out and have done really well, and then some of them not so much. But I think that that's where we pulled a lot of inspiration was from these companies that worked very well on a big scale with lots of uh, different employees at them. And so we kind of looked into how do they operate? What are ways that we can find synergy across all our departments internally? What are ways we can stay organized? How can a team member be able to access every piece of information that they're going to need to access without having to come and talk to Bailey or talk to myself or talk to Bryce? So looking at protocols and procedures within that you know, we, we really just tried to find the most efficient way and kind of put ourselves in the shoes of, okay, if you're someone new coming into the company, how can you get around and navigate and understand kind of the, the flow of communication within our company and kind of built our protocols around that. And so now we've got some incredible systems that we like to put forth onto projects that we do. So we've got kind of a, a backend workflow that our internal team knows very, very well. And then whenever, like, for example, we bring in different production managers, line producers onto projects, and they can come in and kind of go through our procedures pretty quickly and be up to speed on just how we are working as an internal company. And so I think that that's really important is thinking about the ways you want your communication to flow, the ways you want your data to be managed, and then ensuring that you have those protocols and procedures put in place and in writing so that someone can review them and have a good understanding of how they need to go about their work within the internal side of the company to make sure that everything's organized and, and nothing falls through the cracks. But also like we have a team meeting every Friday where our team gets together, all eight of us in person, and we go through each department within the business, uh, so not necessarily each department within production, but each department within the business. So we've got, you know, our accounting side, we go through where all our accounting's at every week from various projects to then just overarching internal work. Uh, we've got our post-production, so we go through all that. 
check in, make sure things are moving along. Uh, when we've got productions happening, we go through that. Uh, we go through uh, marketing, we go through just business development, we go through projections where we want to go, goals, all that sort of stuff. So I think that that also really helps is just being able to get everyone together and create some synergies across all the departments, even though, you know, we've got like an accounting team who doesn't really need to know anything about post-production, but I think it is very important that they do know where our post-production stuff's at because it only just helps keep everyone aligned across all departments. And then that way people can speak the right lingo. So yeah, I think it's really important to just have open communication. I think that's the biggest thing to our procedure is having strong lines of communication and over-communicating in a sense. I think in the beginning, obviously we don't have a team, but is there now really cool to hear what you've, you know, how you group together as a team and collect information and collaborate. I think it's such an important part of growth and makes a lot of sense how you're, you know, you're able to scale right now, but in the beginning you're alone specifically to speak to that. Is there anything that you remember helping you in the beginning when it became to any sort of structure? Cause I remember when I started, like even the idea of a digital calendar, I was like, you know, what do I, do I need that? Like, you know, I wasn't using one for the first year of business. And I was like, you know, as soon as I, now I live by the calendar, I, I would live and die by it. So it's like, is there anything in, in that, if you were to strip it away back to the beginning that stands out for you in regards to, that would help in the beginning? That's a great question. I was a hot mess in the beginning. <laughs> As we all are. Uh, yeah. I, I think the biggest thing was not understanding what works and what doesn't yet. And so I think that early on, it's a lot of trial and error. But I would say that honestly, the biggest thing is just get your finances like in a very organized state. And I think that that was something that my dad always pushed hard on me. I was very fortunate to, or I am, I'm very fortunate to have a father who has done very well in like the business side and finance side. And so he really gets that and really mentored me and pushed me, even though I absolutely hated doing all of it. He <laughs> yeah. was on me <laughs> in a, in a, like a boss like manner. And so that really forced me to stay focused on that sense. And I think that that is something that a lot of people kind of just push to the wayside because it's not fun doing. And oftentimes we don't necessarily know how to do it because we're creative. So we just want to go out there and film and make really cool visuals and stories. And that's what we want to do. We don't want to sit there and reconcile gas receipts. <laughs> yeah. But until you can pay someone to do it, it's like you have to do it and you need to know it. Like, even if you can pay someone to do it, you need to know all about that world because that's how you're going to continue to make a or grow a successful business is that at the end of the day, it's the bottom line. That's what you need to be looking at. And he really forced me to learn that stuff uh, or have an understanding of it enough that I was making sure my paperwork was was tidy. But that's something that, you know, I, I would stress to anyone, even though it's not fun to do, but no one wants to owe the tax man a bunch of money. So also just make sure you're looking ahead plan for the future, but look to tomorrow kind of thing. That's a big one that I notice, And also your data. I think a lot of times when people are starting out, it's easy to not know the best data management practices. And I got to thank Oswaldo for instilling significant procedures into our company that are incredible and that I was not doing when I was starting out. He's managed to make sure that uh, nothing slips through the cracks data-wise at our company. Uh, but I, it's something I wish I did better, which is just organization of, of the media because we all love to run around and shoot. But at the end of the day, you got to make sure it's all backed up accordingly and safe and sound. And 
make sure that you have a bit of an organization standpoint on just where you're storing your storing your database. There's so many great cloud platforms now these days. I'd say it's worth every penny in, in a subscription there to, to make sure all your stuff's safe and tidy. Yeah, it's interesting. I actually just learned about um, Dropbox Unlimited, and I'm currently uploading 95 terabytes to the cloud. <laughs> well, learning a few kinks that come along with that process, but uh, it kind of blew my mind that that's a thing now, and we're there now in this day and age that you can just upload everything. Dropbox Unlimited is absolutely fantastic. <laughs> I have a love-hate relationship with Dropbox, and so does our team. Bailey's probably closer to the hate side. He will always just yell at me and be like, oh, why does Dropbox not let us do that? And I'm like, very good question. But if you can find me a program that does do that, then great. <laughs> then, we'll, then we'll make the switch. That's the problem. There's not one perfect solution out there. But Dropbox Unlimited is fantastic. We use that as one of our main database uh, hosting sites. And so all of our data uh, lives on Dropbox. Is there anything else uh, other than Dropbox that you guys use in that workflow that stands out? Yeah, so we use Slack. Slack's a huge one. So Dropbox works with Slack, which is great. And so Slack is where we do a lot of our like business communication for quick back and forth, as well as you can make channels in there. You can select who needs to be a part of what. So that's a great way for our team to stay synchronized, as well as share Dropbox material. And then Excel is another one. Kayla is an Excel wizard at our company, and so is Roy. So, you know, being well-versed in that, those, those parties all talk together which is uh, a huge asset. So, Yeah, and Excel versus Google Sheets, That's uh, or, or is it all, all the same? Excel over Google Sheets any day of the week. Okay. <laughs> Why is that? Google Sheets is fantastic for basic chart work um, or basic uh, recording, but what you're able to do in Excel, and believe me, I'm not the Excel wizard, Kaylin Roy are, but what they've managed to build us in Excel blows my mind every day, and you can't just do it in Google Sheets. Google Sheets is a great system, but just is a, is a little limited, where Excel allows you to do some more complex uh, coding. Uh, we, we love Excel. What's an example of something you built in Excel that you couldn't in, I'm just curious, in Google Drive that has been helpful for you in the company or, or in your process and systems? Yeah, so I mean, I, I don't know the exact like tech terms for it, but so our entire budget system has been fully recreated and built through coding in Excel, which is something that the Google Sheets just didn't have the ability to do, and even Excel for web. So we, we use Excel for web and Excel like on our actual computer, and the Excel on our computer just has a bit more functionality with it. Excel for web is great for being able to do quick inputting, which is similar to like Google Sheets. But like the back end, like they've managed to build uh, an in, we, like we've built an entire custom budget system based off of what we kind of reverse engineered from Movie Magic budgeting, uh, some various other budgeting softwares that we found we just had some issues with or, or we liked. There was like pros and cons to all of them, but there wasn't something that just just worked for us. And we wanted that more. Uh, we wanted to have more of a custom ability to it. And so then that's when we decided to dive into Excel. So I don't know exactly, I know it's a lot of the coding. We're able to like fully code in fringes and all this sort of stuff that you would put onto like a big feature budget that can take a lot of time and a lot of different calculations where we built that all so you can just kind of quickly select it to save us time versus spending, you know, each time you have to make a budget, you have to go redo that. It was a, a huge pain. So we decided to to kind of build it all ourselves from the ground up and you just can't do that. In Google Sheets. Yeah, I think that's something really cool as you grow as a company to start to build out things like that, even to a software level that just works so smoothly for you. Because when you create that, your life becomes so much easier. I'm in that deep process myself right now. So I'm intrigued of what 
people or other people are doing. Because, I mean, it's also a thing I've noticed that there isn't really any resources out there that say, this is what you should do. It's very much like a discovery process, like, okay, you know, I use QuickBooks for my accounting, but then I use this system to quote, and then I got to push it off to, you know, get the checklist for the crew to, do, you know, so I think, I don't know, I mean, I'm curious, is there any other software out there that you found helpful in your process that um, you're using all the time and live by or? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, like you said, there's uh, it's it's a lot of figuring it out as you go, and that that's kind of been a significant portion of of our work for the last couple of years has been going back and forth with okay, well, how can we make our workflow more efficient? And are there softwares out there that do that? And there there are some softwares that get close, but nothing is perfect. So we we use a collaboration like our accounting side is mainly hosted in like the QuickBooks Premium or whatever. That's where all our like uh, bank accounts are linked. However, we do have like some third party accounts that are like international and such. And those ones have a hard time linking with QuickBooks, which is frustrating. We also have a love hate relationship with QuickBooks where like our accountants come from more of an accounting, bigger software side and QuickBooks can be limited. But there's also a lot of great things with QuickBooks where it's, you know, it's very UI friendly but the customability isn't there. So like, for example, even we do a monthly statement, monthly reports where we go through each project profitability report, as well as like our monthly reports. And then we compare them to our previous years and projections and whatnot. And that we had to build in Excel because the QuickBooks exports just weren't, weren't up to the level that we were looking to compare. And so it, it's a lot of just Going back and forth. And I mean, our team's talked about this. We're like, why is there not one system that is like, <laughs> I agree, can just do it all? You know, like, why can't like Dropbox, QuickBooks, Slack, Movie Magic, like entertainment partners, why can't one person just nail it? You know, <laughs> why do we have to have all these different things going? So, yeah, that's funny. I'm in the, yeah, in the same boat, always searching for a better, smoother ride along the way, you could say. Because I think, I don't know, something for me personally, when I get caught up, in the, when there isn't systems in process, something big thing I'm digging up right now in my own business is when you don't have those in place, it just blocks creativity. It just stifles it. And when you're stuck in like you're spending 10 hours on a quote when it should have took you one because it, it, the template wasn't there or something's breaking or whatever it is, all of a sudden your energy gets sucked away. And so I don't know, I think it's a really important part, at least I'm learning to hammer home, is to take the time to build these systems and processes so that your life can be more focused on creative Initially, it takes time, a lot of energy, trust me, but uh, that's, that's the process I'm in right now. But once it's dialed, like you said, I'm sure once your Excel coding, you know, custom built spreadsheet is there, you found the team to help you because obviously that's not a skill set you have, but you can find people to help you. Another thing I'm learning is don't try to do everything yourself. Find the people to help you who are good at that thing. But I'm sure once that Excel spreadsheet's built, your life got a lot easier. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, it's one of those things where, yeah, as you, it takes time and it takes, uh, it's not going to be perfect at the first kick of the can. Like I think our budget's gone through, it's been over a year. I'd say it's been two years almost of developing this budget to get to where it is now. And it's a lot of like trial and error, using it on every project, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't work, seeing what more we need to add to it to make our lives simpler. But now it's at a really, really great spot where you know, we're very confident in its abilities. But yeah, it, it just takes time. And it takes understanding the pros and cons throughout your workflow and, and being very laser focused on what works and what doesn't work and understanding, you know, what's costing you more time within your entire process of a project and then trying to find ways to 
find those time savings. And I think that that's really tough when you're just doing it yourself because like luckily we have Kayla who's watching everything we're doing from like a production organization standpoint as well as like a production accounting standpoint. She's very efficient in developing procedures and protocols. So she's kind of watching how Bailey and I and the rest of our team is going through a project and being like, oh, this feels like it could be faster. Or like there was a lot of time taken even just on like petty cash forms or like overage reports. We have those all custom built now. So it's like with like a little procedure sheet that gets sent to the crew members because we're like, oh, well, the crew could just totally fill this out themselves very easily. Here's the procedure to do it. Even when for paying an invoice submission and records of all that, we've kind of built systems within our Dropbox and within our Google Sheets and, and Excel and Slack and everything that just allows that to be more streamlined. So we've just kind of assessed like what was taking a lot of time within that production on our team side. Like how can we get our team's workload to be more efficient, which then ultimately saves you money and ultimately gives you more time to focus on other aspects of growth. And so really trying to look at that through the microscope. And it's not easy. I mean, I wish I could tell you we've got solutions for everything, but we're actively, <laughs> actively looking to, to find solutions. And I think we've done a great job now to, to have a selling point is our efficiency within the business back end. And I think that that's why a lot of people have actually come to us to run more production service sides of a project because they know that our organization level and our procedures are very streamlined because we're able to do all of it in-house. It just allows the workflow to, to run smooth. Like we even have clients from the States that literally just use us to pay people because they know that our, our pay systems, one, the US company can't pay the Canadian people, and two, they don't even want to have to deal with the contractual work. So then they just know that our systems are in place to do it very efficiently. So then they just kind of have us do it. So that's like one of the sides of our business that doesn't even like, we don't even create a project on it, but we're just a facilitator. And that kind of brings me to another thought is like, I've noticed that, you know, obviously you built out these studios. I think I saw you purchased a, I want to say an RV or a, what is that for a studio, prep studio? What do you call that thing? Yeah, we've got a production, like a mobile production RV, which honestly, I absolutely love. And I hope that the Vancouver industry will learn more about it because the second I used it, so we rented it on a project and I was blown away and I was like, oh, do you think we need this? And then we used it once and I was like, oh, this thing is, this thing is amazing. And then we started renting it more frequently. And then the guy was like, hey, I'm getting out of the, like, I just had a baby, I'm moving this thing's kind of a burden now. So I'm not even renting it anymore. I'm just trying to sell it. And I was like, damn, because we need it coming up on our project because I and so then we just we were like, you know what, let's just buy this, put some money into it, and then offer it back to the industry as well as use it on our own projects. But it's got like a mobile office in the front where multiple people can work. Um, so your PM, uh, your ADs, whatever it may be on your project, people can, they've got desk space, drawer space, there's like a printer and all that stuff. There's like a fridge. And then in the back, there's like a wardrobe area and makeup area. And then on the very back, there's two washrooms. So it's this like all in one production vehicle for kind of the indie range projects where maybe you, you're shooting on location and you need washrooms and it's like, okay, great. Well, this has two washrooms built in. It's got a little makeup area and then it's got a production office all in one. We offer it as like a a full encompassing package. It's got a 7K Jenny on it too. So it's fully self-sufficient um, and can run some power. It's got like heat and AC. I don't know. I love it. I think the thing's awesome. It's this old like 1997 
RV that's just been fully retrofitted for production and we enjoy it. It's usually where we have our wrap beers as a team after we wrap a project. We all come in here and have a beer and then head out. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. And I guess I was speaking to that a little bit because you got the studios, you got this, sorry, what do you call it? This is like a production trailer. Yeah, it's like a production, we call it production RV. A production RV. And uh, these are all other sources of revenue. I think that's something I wanted to just hit on just a bit and something I've seen you do well. I think it's important in this industry and let's just say you're, you know, you're not at a busy time of year, but other people are and, you know, you all of a sudden now you're renting out your studio or you have a bit of rental equipment. I know this because I, you know, I rented your studio, I rented a few lights from you and now you got, you know, multiple studios You say you're knocking down the wall, bringing more space, you got the you know, RV. Like, I guess, um, speak to me a little bit about the importance of multiple income streams. Yeah, multiple sources of revenue, I think, is a crucial asset uh, in the growth of a business, especially once you get to the point where you start to have a like higher overhead cost. You need to like figure out, okay, how can we like pay everyone at the company without making sure, like without having everyone work all the time? You know, how can we have them working on uh, progressing? But I think that that's something that we've leaned into heavy is like, where can we find these multiple sources of revenue that are almost passive income? And so for us, it was, yeah, more on the infrastructural rental side. So we found that, you know, there's a ton of people with cameras out there. There's a ton of people with lights. We have a little bit of lighting. Don't have much grip gear, but we've we found that there were a lot of people with that side, but not a ton of people with the infrastructure side. And so that's where, like, we've got a sprinter van, and that sprinter van rents out a ton. People use it all the time for, you know, kind of the indie level slush truck people use it for a variety of different things and that's when the production rv was something where it was like we were using it and we we're like well we're at this kind of indie stage there's a lot of other indie companies in vancouver that i feel could benefit from this why don't we take this on and then offer it to that community and then that just like comes with a driver we don't have to worry about it too much it just kind of goes out onto production and comes back at the end and then there's kind of no fuss no muss the studios are a great asset for our own stuff. We're actually hoping that now by expanding the studio, we'll be able to offer it to some larger productions or just have more people through it. It was a bit more narrow in its current form factor. And so we're like, okay, how can we make this more appealing to, to the industry um, that was making it wider? So luckily we, we had the ability or we have the ability to do that and, and are in the process of doing that. So yeah, it's really just trying to find ways that you can have monetary progression in the company without having to have every person working around the clock for 12 hours because it's it's really tough i mean like we can't just go do productions you know monday to friday and that then that's just the reality is like you don't just have like there's those just don't happen um, unless you're on like a tv series or something which is hopefully where we'll be um soon but uh in in kind of the indie level that we're at right now it's it's very difficult to have production happening Monday to Friday year round. Uh, so just finding some of these other outlets that can be of value and, and bring in some sort of resources to help keep the lights on because you have to diversify. You know, I think we're in this interesting state in the industry where even like indie movies don't do well anymore. So it's like, okay, if what we want to do is not actually doing very well, then we need to figure out a way to still do what we want to do within the industry, but actually make money and, and keep our lights on. Because as much as it's passion driven, we still have to put food on the table. 
Yeah, I think that speaks to just almost getting creative about the business side of it. I, you know, business can often be looked at as um, the opposite of creative, but I think you can get creative about your business in order to focus on, like you said, staying passionate and have the resources to do what you want to do in your love for the indie stuff or in, in the regardless of what the industry is doing. I think so. That's um, something to hit home. I think for those getting started is finding other residual income paths, streams, um, whatever that might be, or have that growth mindset to look outside of just having other sources of income while not hitting the record button or shutter button or whatever it is that can, you know, think a little bit bigger and, and deeper, which is kind of cool to see all the little avenues you've created for yourself. So, yeah, totally, man. I was just going to say one thing that we, we didn't, uh, that, that I actually wish we did more of was stock footage. Um, I know some people that have been very successful by making the footage that they've shot, make them money time and time again. And I think that that's a huge resource and asset for anyone that's starting out, especially where like maybe they don't have the ability to have multiple pieces of equipment renting out. It's like, well, why don't you just make your footage and your art continue to make you money and it's something that I think I slap on was that ability to have recurring income off of one frame that you've already shot um, and I, I've got friends who have done very well off it and they've absolutely crushed it it's something that I want our team to look through our archives and figure out is there a way to offer it because I think it's a fantastic resource that's available to especially people that are just starting out that maybe don't have multiple pieces of equipment. Yeah, 100%. And something I can speak to as well. I've been with Film Supply for a handful of years. And it's definitely really cool to see this like slow residual income trickle in the background. And yeah, some months it might be a few hundred bucks, but every time it can be a few thousand bucks. And all of a sudden, you know, you look at the end of the year and it's just like, oh, wow, that like paid for a lot of back end expenses, whether it's like just the software you're paying for, or whatever it is, just having something like that trickling along in the background rather than just a bunch of, you know, archival footage sitting on a hard drive collecting dust is such a really cool way to help passive income and help you kind of just um, build those financial legs in the business. So yeah, absolutely. Before we wrap up here, I'm curious, is there any parting words you might have for younger people just getting started in this industry? And I mean, obviously, I've, we've heard a few of your stories. I think they're really awesome how you kind of broke into this but looking back, if you were to try to talk to yourself 10 years ago, what would you say to him? Yeah, great question. I, this is something that I've been trying to figure out for the last little bit. Um, it's like, yeah, what is that like strong piece of advice? Because I feel like I, I'm still at the point where I'm looking for people's advice. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> We all are. Yeah. But I think honestly, and I mentioned this just, just the other day to someone that the really it just comes down to the the belief in yourself and as cliche and corny as that sounds you know i think that a lot of people aren't able to reach the goals that they want to because there's an element of doubt that is subconsciously ingrained in their mind and i think you just have to push that to the side and know and, and, and put the blinders on i think of a horse and oftentimes it's easy to get distracted by what other companies are doing what other people are doing but you have to remember that at the end of the day all you can control is yourself and the work ethic that you have and the amount of time that you put into your craft. That's what you have control of. So look at what you can control and ensure that you're putting all the effort and resources and abilities you have within that control window and that control box that you have to progress yourself in the direction you want to go because that's what you do control and that's what you do have the ability to manipulate. You can't tell another company to do something you can't 
you have no control over what other people are going to do, but what you do have is control over yourself. And so if you can stay the course and keep your blinders on, you're ultimately going to get to where you want to go. Beautifully put. That's pretty good for someone who didn't have any advice. (laughs) (laughs) I just keep trying to take it every day. I'm like, I need to do more of this myself. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So where can people go to find your your work if they haven't uh, don't already know you? For sure. I mean, we're on like all the social channels, uh, Crawford Filmworks, uh, CrawfordFilmworks.com is our website. You know, we have a lot of resources that we're offering to like the indie community. Our studio is something that, you know, is more catered to the indie community or people that are looking to do smaller productions. Uh, we love giving back to people that have supported us. So yeah, check out what we what we have to offer on our website. Reach out if you ever have any questions uh, or just want to get connected. I'll make sure someone on our team is there to to reply. And yeah, we just look forward to collaborating with more people across Canada and just in the industry as a whole, whether wherever you're from. So awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show today, Jacob. That was a really fun chat. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, Marshall. I appreciate the time and excited to see uh, what you're doing with the podcast. I think it's it's really great to to finally have a resource for people that's giving back and, and helping educate people as they come up within the industry, because I wish there was more of this when, when we were starting. So 100%. Thanks. Thanks again. No worries. Thanks, Marshall. Okay, that was producer and executive producer Jacob Crawford. It's so cool to see what Jacob has built with the mindset that anything is possible if you believe in yourself and ultimately focusing on adding value to other people's lives around you. In future episodes, I'll be speaking with photographers, cinematographers, directors, producers, reps, and anyone who has decided to take this ambitious leap of faith at making a life and a living behind the lens. Stay tuned and subscribe to the channel on your favorite podcast app. And if you're open to it, take 30 seconds to leave me a star rating or review that helps this podcast grow. If you heard something of value, I encourage you to share this episode with a friend that you think it could help or simply drop me a DM on Instagram and encourage me to keep the episodes coming your way. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time on Shotlist.